Hello, my name is Diana Dirkby and I live with paranoid schizophrenia. The soundbite that you just heard was an extract from Pastime with Good Company, which was composed by King Henry VIII and was performed by Chestnut Brass. The title of this podcast is my book, The Overlife, and this podcast. Before starting, I would like to explain the logo for this podcast. It shows two rhinoceroses with two hearts above them. There are only two northern white rhinos left on planet Earth. These are the rhinos in my logo. They are female. One is called Najin and the other is Fatu. They live in the old Pajeta sanctuary in Kenya. The last male northern white rhino, Sudan, died on March 19, 2018, at Ol Pajeta. So there are no surviving males and only two surviving females of this species. The most significant contributor to this tragic situation of impending extinction is the poaching of rhinos for their tusks due to false beliefs that the tusks have specific medicinal properties. Other species of rhinos are also at risk. Nonetheless, science is working on saving the northern white rhino species, and this story is fascinating despite the underlying tragedy. I was struggling with my schizophrenia when I learned about this situation. I was struggling with my schizophrenia when I learned about this situation. I was so shocked by it that it helped pull me out of my period of bad health. I vowed to remember Sudan every day when I woke up and became interested in the story of the northern white rhino. This topic is so important and outside myself, that it helped me get a badly needed perspective. In this chapter of my podcast, I would like to spend some more time talking about my forthcoming book, The Overlife, A Tale of Schizophrenia, which I call The Overlife for short, and how it relates to the title of this podcast series, Schizophrenia as I Live It. I talked a little about this relationship in my first podcast chapter. Before doing that, I want to talk for a while about my next podcast. That podcast will be entitled Politely Correct. It will concern what are, at the moment, some of the politically correct words and phrases to use in the context of mental health. I say politely correct instead of politically correct as redoing our verbal expression to make others feel comfortable should not be a political issue. A politeness issue is critical in mental health, given that most mental health consumers are susceptible to language. That sensitivity is undoubtedly true of me due to my experience of living with schizophrenia. I don't like the word political. Many, in quotation marks, left-wing people feel they must be immaculately politically correct, whereas many in quotation marks, right-wing people feel they must say that it's all nonsense. The word political helps to bring this situation about. I was born and raised in Australia 
where political correctness had virtually no impact on my education before I left Australia at 22 to live in Europe. I didn't sense much political correctness in Europe. I spent about 20 years in Europe before moving to the USA when I married my American spouse. I became aware of dedicated political correctness advocacy when I immigrated to the USA. I should say that things have changed in Australia and uh, there's a lot of politically correct uh, language there now uh, that uh, was simply not there when I was growing up. I pay a lot of attention to polite correctness, as I call it, because I would rather know what offends certain groups. If I meet one of them, I know what to say to help that meeting go well. Again, for me, it's politeness, not politics. The only political aspect I can think of arises when some politicians want to legislate to protect people who, when genuinely themselves in a non-harmful way, nonetheless meet stigma and discrimination. For example, if someone's pronouns are they, them, their, you need legislation to protect them from the prejudices of those who cannot accept that they, them, their people should be equal under the law. Once laws are in place to protect certain groups of people, you have the problem that some people may disobey those rules as they clash with their beliefs. Then, again, you may need politicians and lawyers to sort out the dispute. Before I leave this topic that will dominate my next podcast, I want to make a blanket apology for instances where I am ignorant of the politically correct term. I am trying to be politely correct. Political correctness evolves fast, so keeping up with it all is hard. I wanted to get my apology on the table early. Let's now return to the theme of this chapter of my podcast, namely talking about my forthcoming book, The Overlife, A Tale of Schizophrenia, which I call The Overlife for short, and how it relates to the title of this podcast series, Schizophrenia as I Live It. The Overlife is a fiction novel. The two main characters are Jodie and her daughter Sarah, who narrates the book. Both these characters live with paranoid schizophrenia. The novel's third main character is Dalla, who is Jodie's husband and Sarah's father. Dalla doesn't live with a mental illness. The book describes the impact of paranoid schizophrenia on Jodie and Sarah and other aspects of their lives since their brain disorder doesn't define them. The Jodie character is modelled on my mother, though the circumstances of her life are not precisely the same. I modelled Sarah's character on myself And again, the events of her life are not all the same as mine. In the case of Jodie, we get a view from the outside of her psychiatric problems and where they led, as well as an insight into her remarkable qualities and how they impacted others. In the case of Sarah, I go into detailed descriptions of her psychotic breaks. It's a view from the inside how Sarah feels and what she perceives during her succession of psychotic breaks, or relapses if you prefer that term, are in-depth and close to mine. Therefore, schizophrenia as Sarah lives it is schizophrenia as I live it, the title of this podcast series. To sum up, the novel's plot is fictional, but how Jodie's and Sarah's schizophrenias manifest themselves is based on my mother and my genuine experiences. 
So let's ask some questions about me. At what age did I experience the onset of schizophrenia? The truth is, I don't know. A lot of what I understood along my life path was in retrospect. The first total break from reality of which I was conscious occurred when I was 31. However, later, when I read about the symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia, I realized the onset, or at least partial onset, must have been much earlier, as I had been coping with some of the symptoms for a long time without knowing why. My mother had a similar story, in that I first noticed a significant change in her when she was 38 and I was 8, but later heard from relatives that her psychiatric problems had begun in her teens. We both underwent the tragedy of being correctly diagnosed only after enduring numerous psychotic breaks without understanding what was happening to us, which made matters worse. Yes, I did consult doctors early on and they diagnosed PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, from childhood experiences and depression with psychotic symptoms. The medication they gave didn't work. Only much later did I have a correct diagnosis and appropriate medication. The PTSD diagnosis is accurate and affects how my schizophrenia symptoms manifest themselves. Sarah in the book has similar problems. In my mother's case, she refused to admit she had any psychiatric problems, partly due to fear of stigma and because she became paranoid about doctors. Jodie in the book has related issues. The podcast, therefore, will flesh out my fiction book, The Overlife, by talking about schizophrenia as I live it. And by the I here, I mean the real me, Diana Dirkby, both as a caregiver for a mother and as someone who lives with schizophrenia herself. Thank you for listening.